that it's not snowing yet. I mean, I came all the way from North Carolina. <laughs> Actually, we did get a little bit of snow in Iowa earlier this week, so my kids are very excited because, you know, we don't get a lot of snow in North Carolina. So we'll be thrilled with the results of today, I think. So to this morning, you know, we've kind of had a fire hose the last couple of days. So I thought I would just start out this morning by just highlighting a couple of key takeaways, okay, to just kind of refocus us. If there's a couple of things to focus on, so if you have a piece of paper and a pen, here are some things, if I was to say, are nuggets to take away. Um, some things to just remember. Less is more when it comes to words and talking with this generation. And I would say this is true of every generation. Young people, um, we are, young people, we're used to having our voice heard because we can post it anytime, anywhere, right? So we, we have this impulse um, as younger people to make our voice known. Older generation has amazing memories, experiences, and stories, you know, to share. And the wisdom that often just we feel this impulse that we see a young person saying or doing something, we know it's not going to work, right? This impulse to share. But in this intergenerational um, process that we're in, the more we can listen and ask questions, the farther we're going to go. So to just be really conscious of how much am I talking and how much am I listening is critical as we're building intergenerational relationships. This second thing I talked about last night, collaborative mentors. Make sure who are your collaborative mentors, people who are a couple decades older, a decade or two younger, that are sharing honestly with you about what you're doing. I, you know, one of the greatest assets I've had in learning how to teach and speak and continuing to learn how to speak and teach better is having people in the audience who are kind of my plants, who tell me afterwards who I can take out to coffee and say, okay, where did I really mess it up? The most humbling experience I had was when my younger sister, who's nine years younger than me, was in one of the college courses I was teaching. And I would take her out to coffee and say, what are your friends saying about me as a teacher? <laughs> okay, very humbling, but one of the best, I mean, better than any teaching course I've ever taken in my life, right, to get the feedback. So who are those people who are giving us feedback and investing into and helping us be a better intergenerational leader? Like we talked authenticity, right? We have to be authentic. Let people see who we are. Be okay saying you don't have the answer. One of the things with allowing people to ask why is just having the freedom. We don't have to have all the answers. And sometimes the best answer we can have is, I don't know. Let's figure it out together and walk with that person as you figure it out. Because what we have to realize is in this season, we're building the bridge as we walk on it, right? I mean, no one has ever navigated the terrain that we're navigating right now. Social media, technology, globalization, the current cultural shift that we're going through has never been navigated. As a parent, I can't ask my mom what she, how she helped me develop my identity as a teenager in the world of social media. She, doesn't, she never had to do that. And that's the same with so many things. How do you preach to two generations with two different perspectives? How do we engage diversity better than we've done in the past? Because we haven't always done it well. There's so many things that we're navigating right now that we just don't have good roadmaps for. So we have to give ourselves freedom to fail and then to model what it means to fail and get up and go on. That's one of the most important things that young people need today is to understand that you can fail and still be successful. Actually, you can't be successful without failure, right? 
And, but we often have only talked about our successes and not our failures, and so young people don't know what does it mean to fail. And because of helicopter parenting, they've often not been allowed to fail. We now have no-fail policies in many schools where kids are not allowed to fail. They keep taking the test over and over until they pass it. We've communicated failure is so bad, we're not going to let you do it. So they need to know, no, failure is essential to success. So when we can fail and let them fail and give them permission to fail and walk alongside them as they recover from failure, it is an incredible um, opportunity. The other question I sometimes get is, what do you do if you have a church where there's no young people, right? Because we've talked a lot about, okay, here's how to engage across generations when there's all different generations connected. Here are a couple of just thoughts or reflections as I've traveled and talked to many pastors in many places about this. I think, number one, if you have a church that has no young people, don't wait for them to come in. I mean, this is true of every generation, right? But, or of every church. But don't wait for them to come in. I mean, you were just sharing an example here about a school, right? Go to where they are. So in my church, there's a lot, I live in a community that's military and retirees, because there's a lot of golfing, okay? So we have a lot of older people and some young fam, a lot of young families in our community. And some of the older people will say to me, I just want to mentor a young person. Who in the church can I mentor? I said, go find anyone anywhere. They do not have to be in the church. So we have a group of older women, many of them the silent generation in their 70s and 80s, who are retired and still able to like, you know, get out and about and, or have people over. And I said to them, go find, ask God, just pray. God, show me who I can invest in, who's younger than me. Every one of them came back with stories of a single mom who lived next door or a young military wife whose husband's deployed and just had a baby, where they are actively in those homes investing in those young people, right? So encourage, if you have a church where it's a lot of older people, encourage them to go out. That person never has to come inside the church walls, right? But go out to where they are. I think the other thing to recognize is that in some churches, God, that the congregation that is there, it may be a time for it to fade a little bit, to let it just rest in peace, and to see what is God birthing new at the same time. Both are valuable, right? In some congregations, we're going to continue to minister to the silent generation, the boomers, but God's raising up something else. Maybe there's a, a young service that's meeting on Sunday nights in the sanctuary, or a different language speaking church that's meeting, that God's raising up that's actually going to be the legacy of that church. Does that make sense? So for us to tune in, what is it that God wants to do both are equally important, but it's tuning into what is God doing in this place and what is going to be our legacy. For some, it's going to, the legacy is not even ever going to come into the church walls. It's going to be a young person that you're going to invest in outside those church walls, and that's going to be your eternal legacy, right? And that can be beautiful. Okay, I know we've downloaded a lot of information, and some of you are like, man, I wish there had been a couple of people from my church here that could have heard this. And so I've had this comment from people. So I just want to highlight um, a couple of um, resources that we've developed. One is, I'll leave these cards up here, but one is a video training series where you can download. They're just snippets of the presentations I've done, but they are t they're starting points for the conversation. So you can literally download it. I know people who have done it for like... Um, you know, local ministers' events. They've done it for staff meetings or ministry team meetings where they're just short videos. If you download it, there also are going to be questions and notes for people to use and to kind of guide you through the conversation. So that's a resource that's online. I'll leave those cards up there. 
The other thing is in my book, there are actually discussion questions at the each, end of each chapter. They're designed for you to have an intergenerational conversation around, okay? So if you have an intergenerational team, even if it's two or three people on a ministry team, to walk through the book and just go through those questions are designed to foster this conversation in your local context. If you want to buy three or more books, just contact me and I can get you a discount on a bulk purchase if you want to buy those for a group. The other thing I'll just um, highlight, I do have a blog and a newsletter, so if you want to go to my website, if you didn't sign up on the sheet back there, you can go to my website and just sign up for the newsletter, and then I send out blogs on a lot of these topics. Um, and the last thing I'll highlight, I talked about how younger generation really wants to focus on their strengths, not on their areas of weakness, how they want to specialize. And one of the things we can really do as we're equipping young leaders is understand, help them understand who they are and then understand who they are so that we can position them to be effective in the gifts that God's given them. So I do do leadership coaching, so I'll leave some of the um, brochures up here. They walk through spirit, uh, uh, will walk through spiritual gifts, personality, strengths, passions, and leadership skills in that coaching, so it's a good resource. All of these things, if it's not in your budget, let me know, because I will work with ministries to get you the resources that you need, okay? Um, okay, so on to our topic of today. This is um, really the message that's burning in my heart right now for this next generation. What I feel like God is saying to me as kind of who they are and what our role is, each of us, as older leaders, as younger leaders, in um, kind of navigating this next season and what God is doing. So let's just open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to go to the book of Daniel. Lord, we just come before you this morning. We thank you for, again, for placing us in such a time as this. We just ask God for your wisdom this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us in all truth. That you would give us discernment regarding our specific ministry context and how these things that we've been discussing apply there, and even things we haven't discussed, God. Just give us fresh revelation again, I pray. Lord, as we talk through the story of Daniel and its implications for our season of history, I ask that you would give us hope, excitement, and just, God, anticipation of what you're going to do. I believe this is a generation that's going to see the fourth man in the fire and is going to see the angel in the lion's den. It means they're going to be in the fire and in the lion's den, but God, you are going to be there with them. And so God, teach us, show us how to prepare for this season that we're entering. Give us insight from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last 10 years, as I've researched and done this, this story of Daniel has just been burning in my heart. So I like history again, so bear with me for just a couple of minutes. If we think about the history of what was going on as we lead up to Daniel, we can go all the way back to Egypt, right? The Israelites were slaves. God delivered them. They crossed through the wilderness. They conquered the promised land. Now they're in the promised land, and all through this time, they're meeting with God where? In the tabernacle, okay? In this tent, this temporary tent where this is representing where they meet with God, where his presence dwells. And it's this temporary tent that's moving with them as they go. And so after they've been in the promised land for a while, and finally God raises up David and he brings peace and he's conquered their enemies and there's peace in the land, they want a temple. They've been waiting and waiting for this permanent place where they are going to worship God. 
And so finally, they're like, okay, David's like, I'm ready to build it, God. And God's like, no, wait for Solomon. So another period of waiting. Now, finally, Solomon comes along and builds this amazing temple, right? I mean, when you read how they constructed it, so detailed, so beautiful, where they are to worship God. Now, with this beautiful temple, there's going to be no distractions to worship any other gods, right? <laughs> no, we know how the story goes. So the people go off after false gods, you know, come back, go off, come back. Finally, Josiah, King Josiah comes along, finds, you know, the scrolls hidden. In the, I mean, this is how, you talk about a Bible buried somewhere. Talk about biblical illiteracy, right? Finds the scrolls, you know, hidden in the wall somewhere, pulls them out, and it's like, we're not doing this. So he, like, tries to reinstate, uh, you know, worship of God, you know, re removing the idolatry, and he teaches, he teaches what the Bible says. He teaches what the law of God says. And it's in this season, this influence of Josiah, why I feel this is so critical is because I believe many of us here are Josiahs, where Josiah, in a period of falling away from God that the people were in, he comes out with a voice of, this is truth. This is truth, and this is what we need to follow. So that there is a voice of truth, a voice of teaching the law of God amidst the idolatry. When Josiah dies, the people fall back into idolatry. But there was a witness, right? There was a seed there. And that seed was what David and his or Daniel and his friends benefited from. Somehow they grasped the message because they understood what the law of God said. And this was critical because in Daniel chapter 1, after the, the king's following Josiah fail to follow after God, God's finally like he's been prophesying through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, if you do not turn back, I'm going to destroy you. If you do not turn back to me, I'm going to allow destruction to come. And so in Daniel 1.1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And here to me is the most critical phrase in this whole chapter. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Whew. The Lord used Nebuchadnezzar. Wrap your head around that. I mean, can you imagine the priest in the temple? I mean, they think, what is going on? Never could it enter our mind that God would allow Nebuchadnezzar to come, right? It's, it seems unthinkable. Not only that, but he delivers the king along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carries, not does he just take them and destroy them. No, he carries them off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and puts them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. When I'm talking to college students, I always tell them, this was Daniel's online dating profile. <laughs> right? Because he wrote it about himself. So I was just awesome. Okay. So... He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Here's the thing. They weren't just to be trained. They were to be indoctrinated. This was a program of indoctrination to take the brightest young Israelites and convert them into Babylonian 
envoys, basically, right, who are going to serve them. And so this was an indoctrination program driven by the most wicked, rich, and powerful man in the world. Okay, sometimes it can seem daunting to me what our young people have to face today. With all of the influences in our culture, I get overwhelmed. And then I'm like, you know what? Daniel faced influence. There was no greater influence in the world than what Daniel had to fight against. And Daniel, God equipped Daniel to stand strong. God can equip our young people today to stand strong, amen, against whatever cultural influences are around them. So among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, okay? I mean, Daniel literally was stripped of everything. He was stripped of his name, his country, his nobility, his family, his language, his culture. He was castrated, like I said, and stripped of his legacy, okay? So he gives them new names. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Okay, why? Because the law of God said that they were not supposed to defile themselves with certain foods. He knew the law of God. So here's the thing. We see Daniel and his friends, they go on to obviously learn the language and culture of Babylon, become very um, powerful in that country, but they always drew the line at where what God said was right, what the law of God said. So as we look at the life of Daniel, I believe it offers some incredible insights for us as we're leading through a period of shaking. Daniel led through probably one of the most painful periods of shaking that, Israel exper that Judah experienced in its history, where literally after that first invasion, when Nebuchadnezzar took articles from the temple and some of the nobility, he went back two more times. And he eventually destroyed the city killed many of the people, took many more back into exile, and destroyed the temple. So this was a period in which the, Judah lost everything. They lost everything. They're living in oppression, in exile, in Babylon, right? And it's in this period of shaking when I feel like many people were saying, God, what are you doing? The sky is falling. That God raises up these young men who were tuned in to what his agenda was. Because guess what? God's agenda was not having a big, beautiful temple. God's agenda was not having a city where we had cultural dominance. God's agenda was the heart of his people being faithful to him and his name being glorified. Amen? And in this current season of shaking, I believe that is God's agenda today. For his name to be glorified. Not American Christians. Not even, if I can say it, a denomination. Right? Not our degrees and titles. His name be glorified. And for a people who are sold out to God, who surrender their rights, who say, I lay down my rights. Doesn't matter that I live in a country where I have rights. I lay them down. Because Daniel laid it all down. He did not lodge a protest against Nebuchadnezzar. He did not sign a petition. As we'll see in a minute, he didn't sit and pout. 
He was like, I am surrendered to God's purposes. So I am going to be faithful to what God is doing in this season. Okay, so first I want to talk about what are some of the takeaways that we see for the Daniels. I believe there are Daniels of every generation, but I especially see the Gen Zs and the Millennials as being the Daniel generation, right? I mean, the rest of us are also serving as Daniels, but I feel like we often fill the roles of Jeremiah's and Ezekiel's and Josiah's, okay, who led during that time. But the first thing that Daniels have to understand is the times that they're living in, okay? In, in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, um, when David was coming up to Hebron, and he had been anointed many years before, but now is the time for him to be put into the, the palace as king, to be placed as king. And the men who understood that it was time, after years and years and years of enduring Saul's leadership, they understood it was time for Daniel to take the throne. They came together at Hebron, and with them came these sons of Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So here's what I see. There's many, many young people who are getting pulled into the vortex of cultural influence and voices, right? That are anti-God. Our culture is becoming antagonistic towards God. Many young people are getting sucked into that, but in the midst of this, there's young people who have a gift of discernment, who God is giving them understanding, and they can see through. I see them everywhere I go. I mean, one of them sitting right here, right? <laughs> Juan Carlos. Tú escuchas la voz de Dios, ¿verdad? It gives me hope. Everywhere I go, I see young people who hear the voice of God, who know it. For those of us who are the Josiahs, the Jeremiahs, the Ezekiels, we have to give everything for them. They are the seed of the kingdom. We have to be on our knees for them. We have to be um, resourcing them, defending them, advocating for them, blessing them, even when they're annoying. I believe one of the greatest... <laughs> I believe one of the greatest... <laughs> threats that the enemy has brought against these generations, these younger generations, is to make them annoying to those who are called to lead them. So when you look at a young person and something that they're doing is annoying you, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The enemy has instilled things in this gener these generational cohorts to make us push away from each other instead of come together. Okay, we have to push through those things to the heart of what God is doing. Okay, the second thing is to know the law of God, to study the word. Okay, like I said, biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high among younger generations. But what I see is a hunger in young people to know the word and to know how it applies to their life. So when young people come up and have a question, what, what do I do when I have a nine-year-old friend who says she's a lesbian? Or what do I do when my parents are divorcing? Or how do I handle the fact that I don't want my friends at school to know that I go to church, right? But I want to know the word. We have to be willing to sit down and help them delve into the word with them, learn the word, study the word, pour the word into them so that they know the word. For those of you who are young people in this group, get into the word. I mean, many of you have already gone to seminary, right? But encourage other, your peers, get into the word. I tell young people, your attention span is six to eight seconds long, okay? Which, 
the adult American, older adults, is only about 8 to 10 seconds. So we're not that much better. <laughs> okay? Start reading the Word for one minute a day. Then do two minutes. Then do five minutes. Right? It's not about sitting down and reading the Bible for an hour when you have a six-second attention span, but build that endurance. Okay. A recent LifeWay research study found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. So this is not a, just a problem of the younger generation. Almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. Barner reports, since 2009, Bible reading has become less widespread, especially among the youngest adults. Today, only one-third of all American adults report reading the Bible once a week or more. The percentage is highest among elders of the silent generation and lowest among millennials or now Gen Z. Okay? So the problem is, is that often the people in the church who have been there for 30 years don't know the Bible well enough to teach it to others, right? So we need a revival in the Bible. <laughs> Amen? Okay, so that's one of our roles as leaders is to encourage that, right? And to pray for a hunger for the Word of God. Okay, here's the thing. Daniel had to do a lot of things in Babylon that probably made his ancestors roll over in their graves. There was no temple in Nebuchadnezzar. Well, in fact, there was 50 temples in Babylon compared to one in Jerusalem. Okay? Daniel lived in the most luxurious building in the world at the time, the palace, designed to overwhelm these young Judeans, right, into service. He, didn't, he couldn't go do sacrifices. There were no priests there to offer sacrifices for him. He couldn't perform the rituals or the traditions that he had been allowed to practice in Jerusalem. Today, many young people are having to discern, how do I remain faithful to Scripture the law of God, in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And all they've seen are leaders who practice that faith in Jerusalem and Judah. And literally, when they talk to leaders in Jerusalem and Judah, they're giving them insight on how to live out their faith in Jerusalem. They're like, I can't live like I did in Jerusalem. The way that we've lived out our faith does not work in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Help me. This is where I'm saying collaborative mentoring, building the bridge as we walk on it. We've got to come along. The generations have to come along. Because guess what? The people in Judah know the law of God, right? But this is where the shaking has to help us shake off what is the tradition that was part of the culture in Judah and was fine there but doesn't work in Babylon. So how do we come alongside young people and say, I understand Jerusalem has fallen. Second chapter of my book is Judah has fallen. <laughs> This is my next book, this presentation, okay? Judah has fallen. So what do we do? We have to figure out how to live out our faith in, in Babylon. We have to extend grace to these young people who often, to us, it appears that they're not being faithful to their faith because they're not doing it the way we did it in the past, right? But young people today, they have to learn the language of Babylon or they're going to be ineffective. Daniel would not have been able to lead in a culture that he did not understand. In order for God to promote him to second in command in the most powerful empire of his day, he had to know the culture and the language. Now, he did not participate in it, and this is where many young people get pulled into participation instead of just understanding, right? 
So we've got to walk with them, extending grace that they need to learn the language of this new postmodern world if they're going to be able to minister effectively in it. But they can't be pulled into either modernity or postmodernity. They need to stay true to the law of, the God, of God. Another key thing is choosing godly companions. There are fewer and fewer young people who have a biblical worldview, right? So young people today have to find others who share their worldview, who share their faith. So not only do they need an older person who's going to mentor them and pour into them and model that for them, but they need other young people who share their worldview. Some, in some cases, they might connect with those people online. The beauty of technology, right? If you're the only Bible-believing person in your school. Many young kids today are the only kid in their school who has a biblical worldview. So how do we encourage them, help them, resource them to connect them with other young people so that they realize they're not alone? Daniel, in uh, Daniel chapter 2, when you know, he, he and his friends were new out, of the, new out of the training school for sorcerers and advisors, right? And all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he wants them to tell him what the dream is and what it means. And if you don't, I'm going to rip you limb from limb and burn your houses. We think some of our leaders today are pretty evil in the world. Mm, Nebuchadnezzar, mm, I think he beats most of the ones we have today. Going to rip you limb from limb and burn your house. His own advisors. These, this wasn't the enemy. These were the people who were there to support him. Okay? And Daniel and his friends are like the rookies. What? <laughs> okay, but they got included in that whole group because they were part of that group. Okay? Daniel, what does he do? Runs home to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Guys, we got a problem. We got to pray. Right? Here were friends who stood with him in the hardest trial. Right? Who understood the law of God and were willing to die for it as he was. So these guys, they get together and they pray. This is what young people need today. Other young people as well as older people who are going to get in the trenches with them and pray through. We're going to see God do a miracle. Gen Z and millennials are going to see God do things that we haven't seen in America for years. Okay, I grew up on the mission field. I saw miracles on a regular basis. I got to America and I was like, this is kind of boring. <laughs> Where are the fireworks? <laughs> Where's the power of God tangibly demonstrated? Guess what? You see the power of God tangibly demonstrated when things get uncomfortable. And we don't like uncomfortable in America. But God's fine with making us uncomfortable. And that's what he's doing. So if we feel uncomfortable, we're in a good place. If we're like, I'm feeling a little uncertain. Daniel, let me tell you, Daniel felt uncertain. Okay? Because what does it do? It drives us to our knees. And when we get on our knees, what happens? God shows up, amen? Okay, so they need godly companions who are going to stand with them in those moments and see God come through. They have to serve the king. Here's a shift that I really believe is happening in what God's calling us to do in America. The beautiful thing about a democracy is that we have rights and we have a voice, Right? But remember what I said about American Christianity? Christian Americans, right? Daniel laid down everything. And he said, I am going to serve because God has called me. 
I am going to serve the very person who has stripped me of everything, who has killed my family, has destroyed my country, who has taken my identity, my culture, my language, has taken everything of me. I'm going to serve him. Why? Because God has called me to this for such a time as this. God used Daniel to bring Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius to their knees, declaring that his God was the one and only true God. Remember what I said about God's glory and our faithfulness? Daniel is the epitome of being faithful to what God has called him to do and seeing God's name glorified. In Thriving in Babylon by Larry Osborne, which is a great book, he says, if we want to significantly influence our modern-day Babylon, we'll have to change our tactics. Instead of avoiding or attacking the godless leaders of our day, we'll need to begin to engage them in the same way Daniel did, humbly serving whomever God chooses to temporarily place in positions of authority. Whether it's our boss or our professor or an elected leader or a CEO, our, our, our culture does not do this well, does it? Romans and Titus, which were written by Paul in the age of Nero, another one who would put many leaders today to shame, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one. I'm just reading scripture. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. Not just the people who treat me well. Not just the bosses who give me raises or the professors who give me good grades or the political leaders who make the decisions that I want. Right? Slander no one. Be gentle to everyone. I believe the challenge for those of us who are older is that we don't always model this biblical principle, right? And for those who are younger, it goes against everything that you've been taught that you have a voice. Okay, now I want to make a distinction here because does it mean that we stop fighting for justice? No. But we don't fight for our own rights. Does this make sense? We have died. We have died to ourselves. Our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Scripture says over and over, we have died to ourselves. We deny ourselves. We are called to serve others, everyone, which means we still have a voice to fight for justice for others. But often, our own rights get in the mix and subvert what it is that God's trying to do through us. Daniel's generation has to live a trustworthy life. Not a perfect life. There's a difference. Trustworthy life. In Daniel 6, okay, Daniels are not going to be super popular, which is also hard, right, for millennials who want, and, and Gen Zs who want a lot of likes on their posts, right? <laughs> okay? They're not going to be super popular. Daniel was very popular with Nebuchadnezzar, but not with all of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, cronies. Why? Because Daniel was getting promoted, because why? The favor of God was upon him. 
The favor of God is going to be upon Daniel's, and other people are not going to understand it, and there's going to be jealousy, there's going to be anger, there's going to be all kinds of things that surround Daniel's because the favor of God is upon them. And other people are, why is this young guy second in command? My family has served the king for generations, blah, 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 right? So let's take him out. Let's take him out. Let's find something where he's not good, and let's take him out. But they could find no corruption in him. Why? Because he was trustworthy. He was not corrupt, and he was not negligent. He was faithful. Not perfect, okay? Daniel failed, but he was not corrupt in his failure. I have a feeling that if he did something wrong, he went to the king and said, I messed up here, let me fix it. Right? So he was trustworthy. One of the things that I feel like the enemy is subverting with this next generation is giving them this sense that they have to have a perfect presentation or profile. Who they present to the world has to be perfect, but often it's not trustworthy. It's not consistent with who they are, who God's called them to be. So helping them with the identity piece is critical. And then seeking understanding. I love in Daniel 9, which at this time Daniel's serving under Darius and then Cyrus in in chapters 9 and 10, this guy's like, he's the silent generation of his day at that point. He's in his 80s. He's been serving for a long time. He's still seeking out understanding. We see him going to the writings of Jeremiah and seeking out to understand what it is God's still doing in that day. Here's where I want to encourage those of us who are Josiah's, Jeremiah's, Ezekiel's, who may never lead in Babylon, we will continue to influence Babylon if we are faithful to what God has called us to. Those, those men had incredible influence for the next generation that would take the seed back into Judah, okay? So seeking understanding. Be learners. Seek out the Jeremiah's, okay? The young leaders today have to seek out where are the Jeremiah's, where are the King Josiah's, where are the people who understand what's happening. I'm going to find them and not leave them alone, <laughs> okay? I'm going to find them, and I'm going to suck everything I can out of them. All the wisdom and understanding. Find your Jeremiah and seek understanding from them. Okay, so how do we, as older generations, engage a Daniel generation? We have to, first of all, do the same thing. We have to understand the times in which we live. Understand that some things, it's time for some things to die. In winter, some things have to die so that we can resurrect a new thing. A new season can be birthed, right? There are three responses that we see to Nebuchadnezzar's invasion and the resulting exile on behalf of the Jews. We see, first of all, the group that I call the deniers, those who lived in denial, right? These were the ones who, well, Jeremiah still prophesied, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're here, (laughs) right? Like, no, we will not accept this. The temple will not fall. Jerusalem will not fall. It won't. I won't let it. It can't be. It's impossible. This is God's promised land. We are God's promised people. And I see them, I can just envision them, hanging on to the pillars of the temple. It will not fall! (laughs) They're going down with it, right? The deniers fall with the temple. They just fall with the temple. And some people are going to fall in that group. And for us to be able to just release them, we each have choice how we're going to respond to what's happening. Then there were the powders. I find that often the older generations fall more into the deniers and the younger generations fall more into the powders because the powders were the ones who came, were in exile and did not like it. 
I do not like it here. I do not like the food. I don't like the weather. I don't like that. I don't have Wi-Fi connection. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. People are not doing the things that I want them to do the way I want them to do it, right? And Jeremiah writes to them, the city will be blessed. As you are blessed, the city will be blessed. You need to have children. What my mother told me, right? Yes, okay, I'll have children. Okay. <laughs> You need to have children, you need to marry those sons and daughters, you need to establish, you need to plant, you need to build roots, you need to be content where I have placed you. Sometimes it is not going to be comfortable being a Christian in America in the days ahead. It's already getting uncomfortable. Okay, the younger generations are feeling it more so than the older generations. They're feeling it every day, it's a real thing. Stereotyping, marginalization, labeling, all these things that are already occurring that are the precursors to persecution. We've got to be okay with things not being the way we want them. We've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? That's what God was calling them to. Do not, I don't want you to pout. I want you to be where I've placed you even though it's uncomfortable. And then we had the ones who were faithful, right? Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, uh, Hananiah, later Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah. All these people that said, you know what? I surrender my rights. I'm serving the king. Okay? I mean, Esther, I mean, this girl was an orphan. Apart from being a Jew, which were marginalized and, you know, degraded people in Babylon, she was also an orphan. She was a female, right? I mean, she had a lot of things going against her. And her cousin Mordecai had no, had no mercy. Girlfriend, if God's calling you to go up and marry that king, you're going, <laughs> you know? And if God wants you to go in and risk your life for the sake of your people, you go. Okay? Very similar to Daniel, for such a time as this. And Esther was faithful. So God is raising up this generation that is going to be faithful. We have to examine our own heart, life, and perspectives in the season of shaking. Like I said, when we feel that angst rising up into us, we have to stop and evaluate. God, is this angst coming out of my flesh, my preferences, my desires, or is it coming out of my passion for your word and your purposes? right? And distinguish which of those we're feeling as we navigate this. We have to find the remnant that God is putting in our lives. This is where I believe that God is raising up a remnant. Amen? It is a season of a remnant, the seed for what he's going to do in the next generation. So find that remnant in your life. You know, my senior pastor, he... Um, I mean, we have a lot of retirees in our church. We also have a number of young families. But, you know, from the pulpit, he can only do so much as far as engaging and participatory preaching and all of that. So we worked together to start a millennials group. It was very organic. It was six weeks long. Texted them the invitation. Showed up at a coffee shop or whatever. And just delved into the word. Well, he's continued that now for months. Some of those young people don't even come to our church right? They go to other churches or they're not even in church. But he and his wife invite these young people into their home or meet them at coffee shops. And just, they're the remnant that they feel called. My pastor's actually retiring. He's continuing to invest in these young lives, right? Because this is the remnant. So sometimes our remnant's going to be in our church. Sometimes it's not going to be in a church. Sometimes our congregation's not ready to embrace the remnant. But that doesn't mean we still can't engage them in some way, right? So where is the remnant that God is calling you to? Where are the, young, the Daniels, the Esthers, that God is calling you to engage them, ask them questions, listen to their ideas, help them process these incredibly difficult issues 
and questions that they have about how scripture applies to this crazy world that they live in. We also have to be willing to implement changes that are required for godly life and leadership in Babylon. So sometimes it's going to mean letting go of some things that have been important for a long time and being willing to engage some new things that God is doing. I believe it requires us to be, again, tuned into the Holy Spirit, to know the word, but to be understanding what does it mean for us today. You know, Jesus says, I cannot tell you everything right now. That's why I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. So he is the one who will lead and guide you in truth. And I just believe God is downloading revelation. I mean, I've already heard, as talking with you all the past few days, ideas and things that God is stirring in your hearts, you know, that he's birthing ideas, passions, strategies, methods. So for us to be tuned into that, yes, it's important to have conferences and read books and do all those things. But more importantly, I think, is for us to be tuned into the Holy Spirit and how those things are going to apply in our local context, right? So being willing to make the changes. And then I think this is the most critical, to live a life of faith and wisdom that inspires the Daniels. Like I was talking about um, King Josiah, and in, in 2 Kings, I'll just read this really quick. In 2 Kings uh, 23, 25 is where we see Josiah, right? Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all of his strength, in accordance with all of the law of Moses. May the young people in our lives say that of us. I got to work with a leader who, had, who I've never met anyone else like him or her, who turned their heart to the Lord. They turned to the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. This generation needs examples worthy of imitation, right? They want to see men and women who are turned to God with all their heart that are living out what it is that they know that they're going to have to do. I just read that passage, but I'm just going to end with that. We need to be a model. Andy Stanley says, you need to be a model for the next generation that God is in control and can be trusted. (coughs) Amen? I think that's our challenge. to be a a model to the next generation, that God's in control and he can be trusted. So thank you for letting me come share these past couple days. It's been a true honor. Please do not hesitate to reach out to me, um, to connect with me. Uh, Let me just pray over you as we wrap up today. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is truth. Thank you, God, that you are in control. Nothing in our world right now is shocking or surprising to you. God, help us. We are humans. (laughs) Lord, it is crazy to watch what's happening in our world. Help us to trust you, to fully put our faith in you, to provide all of our needs, to be our protection, to be our guide, Lord, and to be able to then model that trust that you are in control to the people around us. Lord, I I, I pray for each person here that if they do not have those those Daniels in their life already, that, God, you would show them, even today, bring to their mind faces or names. God, or in this upcoming week, just bring people across their paths. Orchestrate divine connections of the young people that you are calling them to invest in deeply, to equip and empower for the seed, the seed of what you're doing in your kingdom in this next season. God, help us to have the time and the space, the perspective, the patience, 
God, to set aside um, just even the things that might annoy us or frustrate us. Give us your love, God, for these young men and women that you are raising up. Help us to equip them and serve them that our faith legacy could be that of Jeremiah and Josiah that goes on for generations beyond us. Lord, for the Daniels in this room, God, the, the men and women who are going to lead in times that many of us can't even imagine, that are going to experience persecution in America like many of us thought might never come. Lord, I ask for just courage and strength of heart. Lord, I pray for godly companions, that you would surround them, whether it's through technology in another place or surrounding them locally in person with people who either go to prayer partners, believers, uh, counselors, God, who can encourage and bless them. Lord, I ask that you would continue to give each of us revelation and insight for what we are to do, that we would be like the sons of Issachar who understand the times and know what God is calling his people to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. I think it's break time. I'm actually heading out to go see my kiddos. So blessings. Um, thank you. I will leave my cards and materials up here, so if you want to grab those, you can go ahead and do that. right before our break, and thank you, Jolene, for coming and taking time out of your schedule to be with us. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, usually at this time in our conference, we do a very boomer thing and hand out evaluation forms. And we decided this year we're not going to do that. But that doesn't mean that we don't want your feedback. And so if you have feedback, talk to Robin, Randy, Nate, or Greg, and give them either your feedback on this conference or ideas for next year. Uh, we would like to have your name tags back. And so if you would leave those on the registration table, uh, we would appreciate that. There are CEUs available, continuing education. I'll be up here with the forms. Just come up and see me and I'll be glad to share one of those with you. Uh, also, after worship, don't run off immediately. We do want to get a photo of those who are here, a group photo. So please don't run off right away.